0: What powerful words. So grateful to be able to sing along with all of you. Testimony, I hope, of our own hearts. The reality is our Lord continues to call to us, come. As we enter into that relationship with Him, that moment we humble our hearts and ask Him actually to forgive us, ask actually to make us His own. That's not when that response to His work or His calling in our life stops. You know, it's interesting, the truth is he's still calling on our hearts this morning closer to himself. Come, follow me, learn. Learn from me, I'm meek and mild at heart. Take on my yoke, it is easy. My burden is light. Listen, this never stops in our life. And I'm um, very thankful to be on this path with all of you this morning as we look at this series, and I, I hope you have your notes with you, and on the back you have that outline of where we are, we're a significant way through. Last week we looked at the gospel, the John three sixteen gospel. And as we think about this next step, walking worthy really has to be in two parts. In fact, unfortunately, again for the sake of time, there's no way for us to really unpack even the verses mentioned there in your notes from chapter 4 and 5. In fact, we're going to be dipping our toe in the water of what does this mean, this walking worthy We're going to tie it into the context of what Paul is saying and ultimately, hopefully, next week we're going to be able to answer the question of (laughs) how do we do this? We are so unworthy. Rooting that in the eternal gospel is so important. We started, if you remember, the salt and light series some weeks ago with those statements in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the earth. Of the world and the command there was then shine you're the agent of change it's exclusive there's no other answer there's only one way to God it's through Christ and you are his ministers on this earth with that truth and you're to live it and you're to share it we talked about eternal investments what's the point of your life what's the point of all of this of your efforts of what you have Why has he put us there And looking to invest eternally? Matthew chapter 6, we saw that wisdom of laying up for ourselves treasure that actually means something and will last. And even as we were talking about the gospel last week, I was reminded of a series that I prepared some years ago on sharing the gospel and sharing your faith. And in some of that research, I came across studies that had indicated one of the primary reasons why people don't share the gospel with those in their sphere of influence at work or in the neighborhood or in their families often is not because they don't know it. I hope after last week you guys could articulate that and know it. But really it's because of the nature of one's life. You know, it's hard when you're at work living the life like all the rest of the guys or the gals in that space then switch and say, by the way, did you know there's this holy God? And they're like, well, who are you talking about? Where's this coming from? And so as we talk about living worthy, sometimes we, we go two directions with this. One is that somehow i got to make myself better. That's not it at all. Now, this is God's call on our life to follow Him, and that sorts itself out. But we have to make that choice. Because the other way is, sitting and thinking that I'm salt and light and this is the gospel and then we go out and continue to live our life in the pattern of the world and we're not shining, we're not investing, we're not doing anything. But it sounds really good on Sunday. And so as we look at this walking worthy and as we look at what he has to say in in chapter 5, I want to be very clear. The central truth here is not you need to do better though you do, okay? Not that you need to make yourself what you aren't, though we need to be what we aren't. You know, what Paul is talking about here is a response to reality. And so when he's talking about our walking with the Lord, it's driven by living as one of his children. And so this morning, if we could take one thing away, it would be that God calls me to live as his child. And I I hope we use the word children there. I'd be honest, I'm not laying the. This at anybody's feet. Sometimes I can be a heavenly brat. I can be so demanding and so upset because God didn't do this, this, you know, that classic stomping your feet because you didn't get your way. And the reality, He's given us everything. Living on His children as followers of His Son. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, therefore, and this is on top of everything 1 through 4, chapters 1 through 4, he says, because of all of these things, and specifically there of chapter 4, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God and I'd ask you to bow your hearts in prayer this morning as we ask for his work in understanding what he has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can, as we've said, refer to you as Father. Humbling to know we're your, your, your children. You have made us your own through the adoption of sons, by the work of grace through your Son who gave himself for us. The truth is, we are not great children but we're in the middle of this process that you've called us to, and we pray that you continue to help us as we look to grow, growing in knowledge, growing in maturity, growing in wisdom, even as real children even here temporarily, do. We ask that today, this moment, this time, might be a part of that, that you'd be at work in us, that others might become yours, and others would know how great you truly are, your patience with us, your mercy, your grace, your love towards us, that in some way we might be able to grow and to be better reflections of that, standing because of what you have done. And so we thank you in advance, and we pray in his name, our Savior, amen. Well, as we unpack some of this, I just want to connect some dots, hopefully. Hopefully we can connect some dots with what Paul is really saying here, because what we can do is we can read verses like this, and we can say, oh, yeah, okay, I know the gospel, the John three sixteen gospel. I'm his child. I need to walk in love. Yes, Christ loved us. And yes, I need to be forgiving, though I struggle with being forgiving sometimes. And we can walk away from this text and say, okay, Sunday school lesson's over. What's for lunch? The truth is what he's calling us to here, he's calling us to consider the reality, the narrative of our life. Think about what he says. Be imitators of God as beloved children. You know, a lot of times we don't live as, we're, as if we're beloved children. We may know that in our mind when we think about it. We can remember that if we're called to. Beloved children, walking in love. Why? As Christ loved us. Do we walk in light of? Do we live and make our choices every day in light of the narrative, the history of our life? See, what he's talking to us here about is the reality of the big picture of what God has done this fragrant offering and sacrifice to God Himself that He accepted and therefore accepts us through Christ. The God of the universe, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. You are truly a child of God. You are eternal. You're going to live forever with Him in glory. You are a part of His kingdom. And as you invest as a servant here, your place in that kingdom is a part of his blessing there forever and ever. This is the narrative. Ephesians chapter 1 starts before time. And hopefully now as we think about it, realize, man, there's a lot of narratives in my life that have nothing to do with this. This isn't in your notes, but you can write it down. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through fifty. This woman comes to mind often for me. She is the one that, while Jesus is having dinner at this Pharisee's house, she came and she began to wipe his feet with her hair and her tears and anoint his feet with this ointment. And this Pharisee looks at her known to be a sinner. A sinner in that day and age carried all the weight of so much of what we would not cast our gaze on. I'll just say that as believers. And he said to himself, this man must not be a prophet because if he was truly a prophet, he would know what this woman is. So then Jesus, it's interesting, the Pharisee thought to himself in his own mind these things and it says that Jesus answered him. Listen, (laughs) God can answer our thoughts. He knows our heart and certainly Jesus answered his thoughts. And he said, Simon, I have something to ask of you. So there are these two guys. One owed a lot and one owed a little. They couldn't repay. The master forgave them both. Who do you think loved that master more? And the Pharisee says to him, well, the one that was forgiven a lot, of course. And Jesus said, you've spoken truly. And he turns his attention to this woman he said, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't offer me any water to wash my feet, which was customary. I mean, if if you're going to take care of a guest, you would not only offer them a glass of water, but also water to clean their feet. He said, you didn't offer me even the basics of Eastern hospitality. But look at this woman. Since I have been here, she has not stopped wiping my feet and anointing my feet. And he said, listen, to whom much is forgiven, there is great love. Those that have been forgiven little, they love little. And, of course, the implication there was, Simon, you don't love me. This woman does because she knows what she has been forgiven. Not that she was forgiven all that much more than the Pharisee. Certainly, eternity is eternity. The difference was knowledge of that. Do you think that she had a narrative of her life? Certainly. Do you think he had a narrative of his life? Yeah, the difference is between a sinner, who am I, before a holy God, versus the self-righteous, who are they? I'm not like them. Either way, listen, when Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children, he's calling us into the reality of the narrative of this world and of our life as we're in Christ. We should love much. And is it interesting? That's what he says. Walk in love just as Christ loved you. This woman got it. You know, some of our lives are very broken, some of our histories very fractured. And yes, you carry around the scars, but understand in some of those there's great blessing because it puts on full display how great a God we have. And, and some of those that don't have those still have to be humbled and still have to come to a place to know him personally. And while those scars evidence true wounds and pain, there are hidden blessings, certainly, in it all. I'm reminded of Nathan Hale, and this might be a big jump. You might say, "What in the world? We're going to a history." But I think of this I don't know if you know, but Nathan Hale was executed in New York, Staten Island, I believe, hung by the British. George Washington sent him there to scout out what was happening there with the British Army. And he was caught. Some think he was betrayed by his cousin. Who knows? He was 21 years old, a son of the revolution. And he famously said, as they were leading him to the gallows, as they were preparing it, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. What kind of conviction for a 21-year-old? One of the British officers noted that this man, in his diary, he wrote in his diary, that this man, this 21-year-old, wanted everyone to know he was going to do what was required of him and wanted everyone to know they should be at all times prepared to meet death in whatever shape it might appear. What conviction, right? Why would this guy be willing to give his life so obedient to orders? There's this narrative that, that went through those that were revolutionaries the beginning of our country. It's interesting, this very statement, I have one life to give, I wish I had more, comes from a, a, a play of the time, written in the early 1700s, Cato. And it's something you heard of Patrick Henry as well, right? Give me liberty or give me death, that came from that play. And of course the philosophers of John Locke and Rousseau and Montesquieu, they all impacted, now these are all names maybe you're not familiar with, But there was this narrative of human struggle and liberty that fueled the French Revolution. And they saw the horrible things that happened. This is why they said liberty without virtue is vice and death and chaos. That was the French Revolution. There was this narrative that these men lived in. There was this popular culture that saturated them to the point where even just secularly, these men would stand up and say, I wish I had more to give for this cause. You know, there's a lot of narratives in our world today that would ask you to become its adherents, would ask you to give of your life and career in their cause, and pull on our hearts and morality as if it's the only right response. And that's fine. If they line up with what God calls us to, that's wonderful. Truth is, often they don't. And so when I ask this question of how do narratives guide my life, if you really lay bare all these different areas, yeah, there's personal history, and each one of us has a different history. Success, failure, are you a victim, or do you realize in Christ He's truly given you the victory? Abuse, addiction, I put air quotes, righteousness, if we think that's where our history is, fears. But politics careers all of it if we're going to be salt and light God calls us to walk worthy of the calling this singular thing he's called us to the narrative of reality as a believer you are not looking for your own meaning in this world God has secured it for you and so as we look at this this morning I'd ask you to think through all of this in light of what Paul talks about this worthy of your calling because I don't know about you my first response is I'm not worthy and if you know the gospel that's where it starts I can't do this he has to and and that's always the counterpoint to all of this but at the same time if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 you see this command from Paul and we have to wrestle with it He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, I beg you, I I command you, I compel you, please, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. And so, let's just break this down very quickly this morning, if we can. What does walk mean? You know, because most of us probably grew up in church, we take for granted some of this and we just like, oh, walk, it means live. If I were to press you on that. And say, "Prove to me from the text that walk means to live." What would we say other than, "Well, that's what it is." And you're not wrong, but it's an interesting way to describe living. Why didn't he just say "live"? There's places in the New Testament that use that word "zao" to live. He says, "Walk." You know, we sang this morning. Come. We talk about discipleship as following. This is descriptive of what we are doing in life as we're disciples of Christ. And so what this is really talking about is habits of conduct, walking worthy, a habit of conduct. If you notice this habit of humility, are you always humble? Gentleness. Are you always gentle? Patience. Bearing one another with love. This is the manner of which you just choose to act. Now, habits do define action after action after action. Hopefully we have good habits, because we don't always do what we would be called to. And just very briefly, there's a number of passages here, and just so you know this morning, I'm going to try to address most of them. There's some real jewels in them. You don't have to turn to them all, but a handful maybe, here and there. But I'm going to jump to Colossians chapter 3. And, of course, in Colossians chapter 3, he's talking about seeking the things that are above. Setting your minds on things that are above. Putting to death what is earthly in you. And there's this statement, put those things that are earthly in you. Sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and covetousness. And I just want to point out, I said earlier, one of the reasons why we don't shine, one of the reasons why we aren't salty, is because we have all these other things, these impurities in our life. What a beautiful picture in Matthew 5 where Jesus said, have some saltiness in you, right? Because in that time, there were these and impurities. And listen, if you get rid of those impurities, the saltiness is saltier. It has more impact. We've got these impurities in our life. And he names off a bunch. These hidden things that compromise our walk. Listen, if you're going to invest in eternity you're going to have to deal with these things in your life. And sometimes as believers, we go through the emotions week after week, and we come to church, and that's great, and we meet with Christian friends, and that's great. But there's an aspect and a pattern of our life underneath the surface, maybe not so, but there in our life alongside that keeps us separated from God in these personal relationships, keeps us compromised in being able to truly share the truth with those that are lost and going to hell because of our life. It has to be dealt with. And he talks about this. He says, Listen, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And I love this. In these things too, you once walked and were living. There's our Zao word. That's life. This would be the first passage I'd. Tre- turn to and say listen this is why it means to live you used to walk this daily habit but now you must put them all away you must have a different pattern of behavior ephesians chapter two if you were to look at ephesians chapter two you're probably fairly familiar with that that classic verse four but god who is rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us That first part though, the first three verses, speaks of this path before our conversion. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So if you're interested in what does walking look like, it's that lifestyle that's defined by the course of the world before Christ. And I love this though. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, notice that word, following, 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 seeing, following Christ is a different direction. We're going to be following something. So that's where you were. The spirit, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also, now I love this, once lived. This is a different word. Because this word is talking about acting in accordance with certain principles. You know, the the richness of Scripture is amazing. The choice of using these languages that God chose to give us this truth is truly amazing because he weaves into these realities the reality that those that are walking in the pattern of this world are following principles of life. Listen, if there's no life after death, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Paul said that. But Christ is raised. There is life after death. You do face a holy God. Do you think you live a little differently with that knowledge? That's a principle of truth that drives a manner and habit of life. That's the word he's using here. Second Peter chapter 2 talks about this in verse 17 and 19. In verse 18 specifically, he talks about those that speak loudly, boasting of folly, enticed through sensual passions of the flesh, flesh. those who are barely escaping. From those who live in error, living according to a set of principles, in this case, that are wrong. Ultimately, this comes down to discipleship, right? Discipleship. Who am I going to follow? We talk about salt and light. And even here, as we think about 1 John 2, he says, whoever says he knows him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. Now, does that mean we always keep his commandments? (laughs) No. No. Absolutely not. He deals with that in the first chapter. But the pattern of life. He says, by this we may know that we're in him, that whoever says he abides in him ought to walk. This is an expectation. If you have made your choice to follow him, then follow him. Walk in the same way in which he walked. That's what John says. And this is not living it to earn it. This is not me saying, I want to be a Christian, so I'm going to do everything that Christ did. No, no, no. He's saying, listen, if you're following him, then you're going to do what he did. You're going to live like he did. So do that. Jesus himself in John 8 said, whoever follows me, this is the word for disciple, a follower, to accompany him, to walk with him. If you will follow me, you will not walk in darkness salt and light, but instead you will have the light of life. Romans chapter 13 and verse 8, and you can turn there if you like, and I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture out at you, if you could just please um, make notes of these as we go and read them on your own, but he speaks to us in chapter 13 and verse 8, this is a, this is a plea to you this morning, listen. Listen. You know that time is short. You know that the hour has come. Listen, if you are trapped, it's understandable. We can talk about freeing, but you need to look to change these things in your life. He's saying here in Romans, wake up. It's time to wake up if this is not you. The hour has come for you to wake up, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. And because of these truths, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. This is walking truthfully. You, you can see the reality. Lift up your head. Wake up is what he's saying. Look around and understand what's in front of you. Know the implications of your steps. The wisdom of your journey. The purpose of your actions. Now listen, I'm not picking on anyone this morning. This is for me. This is for me too. We get so distracted so quickly. Verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision, no allowance, no opportunity, no place in your life for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is purposeful. This is a command. This is wisdom. This is a call of God on our hearts and our life. How are you living? Not in a way to earn it, but are we truly living to honor the Lord? That's what the word worthy really comes down to. Walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Understand what God has done for you and what lay ahead and make choices in wisdom in response to that. And worthy, it really comes down to... um, It's something that's deserved. Worthy, a response to merit in action and nature. Now, I'm not worthy because what I merit is eternal judgment. The things that I do that are good are already expected of me. Anything that's good in my life is because God's work in my life. It's not me. I don't deserve anything in what I do or who I am. The difference is he is all of that. Who He is is worthy just because of who He is. What He has done is worthy of my service. What would you do for someone who gave their life for you, much less secure eternity for you? Sometimes we forget He is more than worthy of my time, of my affection, of my life, of my heart, of my investments, everything. Think about what we think is more worthy at times in our life. It's really a decision of worth, a desire in our heart. The word here is axios. Maybe you've heard of that in the common parlance. There's, I think, a media organization called Axios. I don't know why, but it means worthy. The opposite, you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 those that eat or drink in an unworthy manner. What is he talking about? Specifically, in chapter 11, he's talking about those that abuse the body of Christ in these different factions and then celebrate the gift of Christ that made them the body of Christ, that purchased them as his children. That's not worthy of the sacrifice. That's not worthy of the Savior of the Lord. It's a mockery. It's... It's a blasphemy, really, in First Corinthians 11. That's the opposite. So what does this being worthy mean? Well, just again, through these verses very quickly, First Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about walking worthy in a manner worthy of God. And so he talks about those who are called into his kingdom and glory. Is this something that I would put his name on? If, is this something that I would say, this is him. This is for you, Lord. Now, sometimes I can be pretty convicting could I say, listen, this is pretty mundane. I started my car. And it's like, all right. Look. No, no, it's the attitude of life. It's the submission of purpose. Yes, as best I can, I, I look to serve him today. In fact, I asked him before I got out of bed, Lord, would you help me be a faithful servant today? No, maybe not every response is worthy of his name on it. But that's my goal. And when it's not, I ask for that forgiveness. And if needed, from those that deserve the acknowledgement that I did something wrong. Worthy. Worthy of the Lord. Philippians chapter 1 talks about being worthy of the gospel. Philippians 1 27 only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ So the question here is this in line with the truths of the gospel there's a holy God sin redemption forgiveness repentance all of it am I literally walking a life that puts the gospel on display listen a lot of times we wish God would just sort all this out I mean If you love the Lord this morning, I'm sure you echo the desire of the heart. God, I just, I'm tired of being a screw-up. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of constantly in this battle of guarding my heart and my mouth and my direction. And like, when do I just get it all right and don't have to worry about this? Why did you leave us like this? Did you know that one of the great truths of our human struggle as believers, is that we're walking pictures of the gospel. We're not perfect. Oh, look at me. If only you could be like me, go through Christ. No, look at me. I'm broken. And the only hope I have is forgiveness over and over and over. Do we get really tired of disappointing our Lord or struggle? Yes. But God does this for a purpose. If we're honest with our children, honest with our spouse with our co-workers, who we are, we can become the best pictures of the gospel. If we're living it, this is part of salt and light. Your manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Also talks in Colossians chapter 1 of being worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him. And I love this. This is a whole other message, a whole other thing to look at at some time down the road maybe but I love how it breaks it down. He's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Listen, He's saying, I pray that you would get it, you would know truth, that you would have this true narrative that you would respond to of reality. And His purpose here is so that in knowing the truth, Colossians 1, 9 and 10, you would be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. And what's really interesting is he then gives these points, what that looks like. These subordinate clauses, he says, pleasing to him in a manner that's bearing fruit in every good work. Investing, living, serving, bearing fruit, increasing, second point, in the knowledge of God. This this reality of getting to know him better is a part of his purpose. It reinforces... All of it, being strengthened with all power. Listen, worthy of the Lord, am I pleasing to Him? Is the biggest and most important question. And walking in that humble dependence is the place to see this fulfilled. Would you turn to Second Thessalonians chapter one with me? Again, we're, we're going to turn to just a couple of these. This is important. Because we really need to understand that Paul also speaks about God's role in this. And you guys have to see this with your own eyes. It'll be hard to follow as I just rattle on up here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. He says, We always ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right. Why? This is the basis because of your faith. It's growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness in faith. Notice, in all your persecutions and all the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence. What is that? The steadfastness in their faith. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. This is God saying they are, okay, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. He's saying this is evidence That God has judged rightly in you being declared worthy of the kingdom of God. Isn't that crazy to think that we might be those that he says worthy of the kingdom of God? As his children, we are worthy of the kingdom of God only by him. Talks about persecution. The persecutors will be punished. Let's jump down as he begins to this end. We always pray for you. What is his prayer? That our God may make you worthy the implications through these trials strengthened in your faith and in your steadfastness, continuing to stand in the face of that opposition. I'd say internally as much as externally for sure. His prayer is that God would make you worthy, establish your faith, grow in your love, worthy of the calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith listen he who has begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it and it is he who's at work in us to cause us to be what we're not i i am not worthy and in of my in and of myself i will never be worthy but he calls us to submit our hearts to him to humble our lives to him and say, God, would you help me? Because he is the one who's making us what we are not. And so this brings us to calling. And this is a big topic, okay? We're going to just hit the highlights here. Calling. And, you know, this is more than just The salvation that he's given to us at one point of the process it's it's all of it and so the best way i can sum it up is when he talks about this calling be worthy of the calling to which you have been called it's it's all of it it's god's redemptive plan from the beginning before time to the very end of it and while we don't have time to read through ephesians 1 3 through 23 It's an amazing reminder of what he has done in your life and for you from beginning of the world and certainly for all of eternity. The calling, God's redemptive plan. And, And again, I don't want to bore you with too many crazy Greek words, but I do need to share with you something I think you'll find very interesting, and that is the fact that they use different words to describe this. And so when we look at this calling... This salvation that's rooted in the redemptive plan of God. Before time began, Ephesians talking about how we should be holy and blameless before Him, how He has made known the mystery of His will, how He he has given to us an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to His will. That we have this hope in Him and that we were sealed, verse 13, by His Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And that in verse 18, we have had the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we understand in part this hope that he's called us to. This is a clay toss. This is this invitation to secure our attention, growing in the knowledge of his glorious grace and knowledge of the inheritance he's given to us we end up in ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 where we have this statement walk worthy of what he has done walk worthy of this calling and you, listen i really encourage you to read ephesians chapter 1 all of it and just think through this allow the holy spirit to connect what he's saying if if you're so familiar with it write it out so your mind slows down to what he's really saying it's incredible Leads us with the picture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, that we'd walk worthy of this as being one calling you out of a dumpster. Now, that's a really ugly picture. I'm sorry, just a big jump there. What are you doing in there? But even worse, a dumpster behind a restaurant. I don't want to gross you guys out. When it's July, it's not pretty. What are you doing in there? Listen, we spend some time in some dumpsters maybe we're carrying around a bag of trash everywhere we go we got to get rid of that We've got to get that washed off and God is calling us today what, is, what are you doing in these areas those things that you're struggling with how are you working through those securing some process of deliverance through that some victory in that He's calling to us and it's fascinating here I love this and again I, I told you we're going to talk about some words here but there's an aspect that God uses in the New Testament here uh, for the different calling, calling to Himself with authority. We see in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight, Proscaleo. and it says there, Peter, as he's preaching, he says, "Repent and be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Christ, for the promises for you and your children, and for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself." And what this statement is is He's literally calling with authority. It's that demand that they appear and there's authority behind it. Very interesting, he uses that in chapter 2. Also in Acts chapter 13, we see the Holy Spirit in verse 2 and 3, setting apart Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry, for the work that God has called them to, laid on them with authority. Listen, I know Pastor Jim would, would agree with this and Pastor Ken would agree with this, but I can tell you that I don't have a choice to serve what God has called me to do. That's what happened here with Paul and Barnabas. The expectation is with authority. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says that Jesus went up to the mountain and he called to them, I'm sorry, called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. This was that call of authority when he went to those along the lakeside and said, follow me, and they followed him. That's that call with authority, but it's also really interesting. It's a little different than Klatos. This is an invitation, but it's also really interesting. Is this other word, Kaleo? And then you might say, okay, it's all blending together. Don't worry, there's no test, okay? But this is calling by name. See, in Romans, Romans, very interesting. Paul talks about how he was called to be an apostle. He uses that really nice word to be invited. I was invited to be an apostle. He didn't deserve to be an apostle. We were invited to be his children. We didn't deserve to be his children. It was very nice. Listen, he welcomed us in. You could use the word welcomed. He called us. He welcomed us into his family. Very nice, very nice. But as we get down to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, it's very interesting what he does. He says, we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are invited, who are welcomed in. This is that same word he uses all along the way. It doesn't soften the, the authority or God's role in it. But it's interesting. He goes on to say, according to his purpose, following the pattern in Romans of Paul here, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that they may be the firstborn amongst many brethren. Now notice verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. He called them by name. He called them with authority. And those whom he called by name and called with authority, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. It's interesting, in Mark chapter 3, verse 31, Jesus' mother and family came to find him. You have the picture of them standing outside, and they were calling him by name. His mother was calling him with authority. Jesus, come out same word what's interesting here in Romans the reality is that we have been called by name into his family with authority those whom he chose he called to himself and they came this is a principle in scripture repeated over and over and over again it's woven into this idea of calling it's woven into the reading I'm sorry the writing of Paul in Romans and Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1 he says You need to be walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which He has called you with authority by name. This is a reminder that everything that I do has my name on it. Sometimes we forget that. And as a child of God, everything that I do has His name on it. And Paul is reminding us with this usage that He has all authority. Not that I need to be bullied into a response. If that's our response, that's the wrong response. But sometimes I need a wake-up call. I need to give an account. Maybe that's part of the reason why we feel so crushed when we struggle, such a failure when we fall. Why don't I have enough faith? Why do I keep getting sucked into these desires? I want to ask, what's the pattern of your life? Paul is saying, listen, walk in a manner that's worthy. Don't allow any opportunity for the flesh. According to the narrative of what he's done for you, hold on to him, and when you're wrong, get it right and keep walking. So what does this mean? Just a recap. It means that we need to conduct our lives according to right principles. In light of his redemptive plan, the reality, the truth. We're not giving our life for a cause of a birth of a new country like, like we saw mentioned earlier. But this is a life worth giving because nothing is lost and all of it is earned. You know, this is often heavy on the dew. But we have to remember that God is the one at work in us, as Second Thessalonians mentioned. And He is the one who enables us to do all this. Which brings us to the message. You know, this is just one set of verses in chapter 4 and we don't have the time to unpack every part even of chapter 5. But very quickly this morning you can follow along with me in Ephesians 5. We're just going to leave off with this this morning. Answer some questions of how do we live this out next week? Freedom, true freedom, the fellowship we have together and with our Lord in Galatians 5 next week. But this morning as we look at this message very simply you need to be imitators of of God as beloved children. How we are here matters with what we do. Be imitators. You are beloved. He gave his life for you. Children are a reflection of their parents. Children imitate their parents. Be like him because this is who you are. Maybe some of our narratives revolve around the reality. I'm not like my parents. I'm going to be better. Or maybe the sorrow. I'm not as good as my parents. I'm not there yet. Either way, God calls us to follow Him, to look to Him, to submit to His work in our life. As we read down through this command, being imitators of God and, and following Him, we see to walk in love, essential to that, because He gave Himself up for us. Notice what He says in verse 3. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. This is not an imitator of God. This is an imitator of the world. You may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetousness, or a covetous, which is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And it's interesting, and here he puts the two sonships in opposition to one another doesn't he who are you following imitate him as beloved children you are you are his and as children live live your life do what is right pursue what is good but live as children of light this is who you are do not become partners with those sons of disobedience verse 7 For at one time you were in darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Here's the command. Walk as children of light. That's that live. Walk. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. It's pointless. But instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret think about how god thinks of our speech of our watching habits of our focus in time it's interesting verse 14 he says again awake O sleeper and arise from the dead and christ will shine on you if you need to wake up this morning i don't mean you know anyone sleeping here But if you need to wake up this morning, today's the day to start that change. Some accountability, some honesty with someone who can help you when that is so needed sometimes. I think you see how often Paul says that we need to wake up and look carefully. And that's really the last point here. Look carefully how you walk. Look carefully in what you allow in your life. Look carefully in what you put in front of you. Look carefully in how you spend your time, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. He calls us not to be foolish. In our, in our common parlance, I could say, don't be dumb. He'd be saying, don't be dumb, guys. Don't, don't walk down that road. You've been delivered from that. What are you doing? Submitting yourself to these things. Cut it out. Clean it out. Humble yourself before the Lord and say, search me, God, and show me. And every day humbling ourselves before him and saying, God, would you help me? Would you show me? Somehow would you be pleased and what I do today. No, I'm gonna leave it for the sake of time this morning at that. If you leave if you seem a little or feel a little helpless in this, knowing but that's where I'm at. That's been my year, this year. So we got real freedom. We are no longer under the bondage or yoke and slavery of sin. And next week, we're going to talk about what that fellowship with the Spirit and fellowship with the Lord in the daily walk and fellowship with one another looks like in that freedom where you have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, the fruits of the Spirit, all of it in your life. And not these things that enslave us so quickly. But we'll save that for next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've delivered us. And yet we are saddened to know that we still struggle with things that enslave us as we submit ourselves to them and distract us. We struggle with things we wish we didn't. We pray that you'd help us. We pray that it would truly be of you and it would be for your glory that that you would be shown to be at work. We're so thankful that you are. But right now, the best way we know how, we just come before you and say, please help us. Please help us sort these things out in our life even as your spirit is laid on our hearts this morning. We ask you to help chart a path to get some deliverance and freedom from these things that distract us and compromise our lives. We know you will. We thank you in advance for it. We pray in your son's name. Amen.